but you know, big media thing has happened just in this past week. Is it the change it's, for we Max? We got Max, or, baby. Max, we're Max. We're Max. We all got Max. Everyone's Max. Yeah. yeah, this is one of the shittiest like rebrandings I've seen in quite some time. You know. Yeah, um, it's pretty horrible. It's even worse than the name of our podcast. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> um, uh, no, I no, was, I was traveling, and so I had to download the new app like mm, the day before. Yeah, and then tried to download a movie, and then when I open it up on airplane mode, it's like, hey, I can't connect to the server. This is gonna be Shouldn't need to. This is going to be one like, like one of those things where it's like, you know, oh, the day Elvis or MJ died, it's like, where were you when HBO <laughs> went away and when it just became right. Max? Uh, I know my dad, my dad called me and was just like, you know, I've changed. The, he's like, you know, uh, here's a new Max password. It's like a whole procedure we had to go through. Yeah. He's crying as he's mm-hmm. telling it to you. I, I do. I yeah. mean, like, I, I'm not even joking. My I dad. Mean, we're both wearing black armbands in <laughs> Memorial. Uh oh yeah yeah sure that's what that's for yeah um mm. no my, my dad like legitimately has been an HBO fan since the beginning like he got it early he was a big George Carlin fan so he like got it to watch George Carlin HBO specials yeah all those um, great specials yeah and then like was into all the TV as they were coming out was a big Oz fan liked Sopranos like you know just everything that was coming that he he's always been into HBO. And so, like, it's not that it's still there, technically. It is, yes. You know, but I just, I, I think feel he... like it, this is trying to not dilute the HBO brand. Maybe. Because it was all the, all the new, because the way they were doing it was like, okay, this is an HBO original. And they'd be like, okay, now this is a Max original. But since it's on HBO Max, it's all the, the crappy Max stuff is still bringing yeah. it down. I learned recently so that. Just, like, sever it. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, that's true. Look, since they changed to H, excuse me, HBO Max, they have released some pretty iffy shit. So, like, I, I do, I do kind of see this a little bit where it's like, hey, wait a minute, okay, we want to keep the prestige of HBO from this HBO Max original bullshit we were doing. Yeah, that was kind of separate from the HBO cable stuff, you know, like Succession. Like that's still HBO. That's Chernobyl, not HBO Max. Yeah, us, it, it's really bizarre. Watchmen. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. The recent HBO, they really, I guess Last of Us is the biggest hit they've had yeah. in a long time. But they, they've really been struggling, I feel like. I, well, I guess Game of Thrones just ended poorly. That right. was the big juggernaut that they had. And oh, the House of the Dragons brought them back a little bit. Like, I, uh, Yeah, it's, it was good. I enjoyed I, that I, one. I, still need, I need to still watch it. Um, it's a little too sour from Game of Thrones. but like, uh, I, I totally understand and, and I, do not judge you. One I, I did... That. I did learn recently via some comedian's like Instagram story that found this out, but apparently David Zaslov, who is now the head of all this shit, uh, of Warner Discovery, or whatever, um, he apparently lives in Robert Evans's old house. Oh, uh, which love is it. yeah, what a mark of success. That's wild. But also, <laughs> I mean, he's also been out there and been saying like, "Hey, the backbone of our industry is still theatrical releases, like exclusive theatrical releases," and well, so like. So it's like, that's, what do I, I don't, okay, you know, it's that classic, like, worst guy you know just made a good point sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, right. I mean, thank you, but fuck you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I can just imagine, like, him giving a tour of the house. It's like, and this is where Evans uh, snorted, snorted coke off yeah. the Alibagross tits. Uh-huh. This is where he yeah. snorted coke 
off of yeah. uh, Diane <laughs> Lane's mm-hmm. This was his bathtub, and this was his coke tub. You'll see that it's the exact same size and depth. Yeah. It was basically um, like a, a Scrooge McDuck. Type I was of going to do the exact same place, except he's diving and swimming through cocaine. Yes, exactly. Um, God, uh, <laughs> I love that we both arrived at that same spot at the same time. <laughs> hey, we should introduce our podcast and ourselves. We should. We should. Okay, so uh, this is a new month. We are getting into June, into the hot summer season, and we are going to be talking about. Well, we we start a new theme every month. This month, June colon bug. Bug. We are talking about all of the creepy crawlies that are out there. Uh, you know, we're opening it up because, you know, spiders, snakes, you know, anything that kind of gives you that icky feeling inside. Well, uh, snakes I might protest because that's something well, different, yeah, but, you know. That could be its own, I think, category. I agree. I think... Mini legs. Is I think a good creepy. Way to put it. You said it best with creepy but, crawlies. That's that's what we're looking for here. But I, okay, so I'm gonna jump into there. Like, is a worm a bug? Mm-hmm. And is a snake not just a bigger worm? I, no, I, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. There's, there's lots of differences there. But a worm crawls through the dirt, and I, I guess a snake. A snake slithers. slithers. I don't think. A, I, I don't think you would say yeah. a worm slithers, right? I think that's a good point. Yes, because it can like burrow and stuff. So. Uh, yeah. So that's what we're talking about here <laughs> on The Weekly Podcast Massacre. My name is Michael. I am from Portland, but everyone calls me Murphy. I have a wonderful co-host with me. Hi, this is the part where typically I would say my name is Greg from Los Angeles, but I'm starting something new. We're approaching a big milestone in our podcast. We'll talk about that later. But I just want to get more involved with our themes. And so I'm announcing that my name is no longer Greg Anderson. I am now Grub... Anders sect? <laughs> I don't know. Look, I haven't figured out the last part, but gr- call me Grub for the rest of the month, okay? I okay. I'm getting I'm getting invested in, in bug horror movies this month to the I, point of changing I like my your name. Solidarity. Yes, with the theme. That's what it's all about: is solidarity. So I, yes, right, well, I am right. Grub from uh, Los Angeles. I can't think of more bug puns aside from Grub, but you're that's just it. you're trying to get into the mindset <laughs> of. Of the creepy crawlies. Full name of course I, is, I is uh, for it. full name of course is Grubbery, you know. But you can call me Grub. Yeah. <laughs> My friends call me Grub. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and for to, to start off this month, we're talking about Bug. Uh, it's a Bug. 2006 film directed by William Friedkin. It is one hours forty two minutes. Uh, produced by Lionsgate and Lift Productions. And you had never seen this film before, correct? No, I didn't really know about it. I knew of... Uh, my knowledge of Freakin' kind of fell off after, like, um, Jade. I know he made Jade. It was in the 90s. Mm. And then... Um, I know he made things here and there, but I kind of discounted everything. I knew Killer Joe was supposed to be like a big kind of a comeback for him. But I haven't seen that. Um, I'm I really only familiar... One, I'm only really familiar with his, like, some of his earlier stuff. Yeah, um, 70s, probably one of the... Directed maybe the scariest movie of all time. I mean... Uh, I, a little-known a little known movie called The Exorcist. Yeah. If you've ever heard of that, I don't know. I mean, just based off uh, of pure numbers of people who, like, saw it and were terrified of it, like, yeah, you might be right. Just, like, the movie that has scared the most people is maybe the best way to say that, right? That, I think that's a good asterisk for it. Because yeah, I, I feel like nowadays, time, when it's talked about... The movie that scared the most people. 
Mm-hmm. I feel like nowadays when it's talked about, it's, it's mostly people being like, I didn't actually find it that scary. I didn't think it was that scary, you know, um, which is whatever. Like, it's the weird thing about horror movies is it's not really about how much it scares you sometimes. You know, it's about how they do it or what they're what it is kind of tapping into in terms of fears in general. Um, right. How it makes you feel afterwards, especially yeah. because that's that's one of the things like Jaws. If Jaws made you scared to go into the water, it yeah. did its job. Exactly. If it made you, next time you went to the beach, think about it again. Right. Oh, yeah. What if I swam out there and there was a big ass fucking shark and my blood fattened up like the little boy on the raft? Like, you know, if you thought about it like that, then it did its job. Yeah. It scared you on a right. deeper, primal level. Just maybe not to the point where you're like chattering or whatever, but you're like thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it strikes you at the core in, in some regard. And, uh, I mean, I, a lot of people either have faith or without faith. Like, I think that's a great movie about it because, you know, the central characters are so conflicted about their faith. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a wonderfully shot and written movie as well. Uh, especially, like, this movie. So this was directed by William Friedkin. This was also uh, written... By Tracy Letts, and this yeah. is based off his play from the '90s. I did not know that when I picked this movie. That was fucking Pretty awesome fantastic. to see in the credits. Yeah, I love Tracy Letts. Yeah. Um, I always think of him in Lady Bird. Really, like that's a great movie, and he is a yes. fucking awesome performance he, in it. So he is understated, so good in that movie. yeah, and that. Yep. Um, so that was that was. I love seeing that he wrote this, which is really impressive because I think this is a, you know, start by saying fucking excellent screenplay um yes. which i know comes i'm from very interested play, so. in reading the play to to see what yes, it would same. be um you know any any differences uh let's run through the cast real quick we have ashley judd as agnes white we have michael shannon as peter evans this might be the first thing i ever saw him in uh i take that back because i would have seen groundhog's day before i would have seen bug because he... i saw this like pretty soon after it came out he's in groundhog's day he has a very very small part in it he's wow. like in at the dance or something it, it's it's basically like you know philip seymour uh uh hoffman's uh. <laughs> in my boyfriend's back like that was right. my first interaction with him like it's it's one of those type of scenarios but wow um, that's fascinating he's I, and like he's phenomenal in this movie uh, we have Harry Connick Jr. as Jerry Goss, and I love him in this movie. He's really fun. Uh, it's, it's a very short cast, again, because it's mainly from a play, so they like to keep it you know, very contained. There's Lynn Collins as R.C., and then Brian O'Brien as Dr. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, and small, but excellent start. cast. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was seeing... Very good. I, I was seeing too. Michael Shannon was reprising his role from the play. Like he yes. played this character on stage too. Um, before I we start, William Freakin uh, insisted the studio was like, "We should get a bigger name," and he's like, "No, it's this guy." And yeah. just him seeing the potential in Shannon, and like you know, a couple years later, he is Zod. Yeah. <laughs> What a transition. I know. I, it's Actually, insane, uh, right? I don't think that was the first thing I saw him in, but it wasn't until he was Zod that I really started taking notice of him, sadly. 
uh, which I feel bad about because he's a fucking fantastic actor. I I love Michael Shannon. I think he's he's always excellent, and like I've never yeah. seen him misstep ever, honestly. I think it was Take Shelter was the first thing that I really noticed him in. Yeah. And that was, you know, like, when I got to Portland, I saw that movie. I haven't seen the entire movie, but, uh, you know, recently everybody got all, went all crazy for Austin Butler's Elvis. You know, deservedly, he's fantastic in it. But Michael oh, Shannon played Elvis in 2016. That is very true. In Elvis With, and Nixon. Uh, our favorite actor, Mr. Kevin Spacey, is, as Nixon. <laughs> Oh God, that's uh, right. Oh. But I have yeah, I seen he gives, he gives a great muted performance yeah. of Elvis. I've seen scenes of it because I it came out when I was working in the movie theater, and so like I would go in and watch it, parts of it every now and then. And I, I I thought he was really good as Elvis in the parts I saw. So yeah, um, he's he's pretty goofy in The Shape of Water. That's one of his more like over the top roles. Uh, oh, but I, I still like him. I still think he's really good in that. He's like definitely like bathing in that river of ham. Yeah, that's maybe that's one of his. That's like maybe the biggest he gets from what I've seen. I you know I could be wrong. I could be forgetting something or maybe something I haven't seen. But like, I mean, he gets pretty big in in Azad. Like, the, yeah. I will find him. That's true, but something about that performance feels more like he's somehow because i think it's because he comes from the he's like a stage actor, right? He's like a Chicago based mm-hmm. like stage he's actor. Project. Yeah, so but he knows how to project in a way that feels like grand and operatic, you know. So when he's doing that as Zod, so it doesn't come off as like scenery chewing. It comes off as like an actor like feeling it. I don't know. Um, I, I love Digging him. I love it. Shannon. No, I get yeah. it. Because and hey, because I mean that is Zod's <laughs> feelings. Based on a couple uh, of shots from Bug, there's also another reason to love Michael Shannon too. Let me tell you. Uh, uh, we'll talk about I was that later. Say if if. You have not seen it. If anyone's not seen it, they should look up uh, Michael Shannon. I think it's a funnier die skit of him reading a sorority sister's letter to the rest <laughs> of her sorority sisters. It is the highest of high art I think I've ever seen. It is him just like giving these like eyes as he is oh my God. reciting. <laughs> Man, okay, uh, so that letter—it's fantastic. Is, uh, that's something from this movie that I just—I really noticed is his control over his like facial expressions in this, uh, absolutely unreal. Um, hey, before yes. we get deeper into bug though, we do have to talk about recommendations, just non horror things that we want to recommend. So, do you yeah. want to go ahead? Let me know what you've been I got, really I got a, watching, doing, seeing. I got a couple, and then I'm going to end on one that's going to segue into the movie. So, like, I'll go, and then we, if we can come back, and I can then segue into okay. it. Um. But the the big thing uh, that I that I took in a couple things I don't want to talk about I this is I guess an anti recommendation but also a recommendation if you're something of a sadist a little bit or you're just like in, in interested in like uh, in you know so bad it's good stuff or whatever but have you ever seen Tough Guys Don't Dance? No. So it's a movie directed by Norman Mailer. Um, who okay uh, yes i didn't know he directed anything uh it's based off a book he wrote um and our good my my good friends at the five day rentals podcast just covered this and so i watched it before listening to their episode the one where like him and rip torn fight is it no 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 rip torn no it's ryan o'neill from barry linden okay Um, sure and lawrence tierney from reservoir dogs you know joe 
Okay, right. And in, in fact, I was—I guess it might be the movie that Quentin Tarantino cast him based on. Um, I don't know if that means Tarantino likes the movie or he just likes him, but he's actually not bad in the movie. But it's, it's supposedly... So it's like a noir setup. There's like a bunch of infidelity going on, various love triangles, uh, murders, things like that. Ryan O'Neal is playing this guy that like is having these blackouts and he's not certain if he's if he's responsible for these deaths that are happening around town related to his mm. two marriages or maybe it's like a girlfriend and then a marriage I don't know it's kind of confusing but it has the most insane dialogue some of the mo- most baffling lines like in terms of how they're written and line deliveries for some reason it takes place it, it takes place in like New England but everybody has a southern accent and is, Love like, it. really going all W.C. Fields on it, you know? And their accents will change scene to scene, sometimes line to line, it feels like. And I cannot tell, because uh, uh, the trailer for this movie, I haven't seen the watch trailer yet, but the trailer is Norman and Mailer reading bad audience, like, feedback cards from task readings they did. So I'm going to guess, like, early 80s? or uh, I think 80, I was looking at 87, yeah. Okay. Um, and huh. apparently after it came out, it was produced by the Canon Film Group, by the way. The same people that did Life Force. Um, or they distributed Wonderful. it, maybe. But anyway, they were really dismayed when it came out and Mailer started being like, it's a parody, you know? And like, oh, the bad reactions mean people aren't getting the of jokes course. of it. And then they were like, wait a minute, we were promoting this as like an austere drama, like crime movie. And suddenly the director's like, no, it's supposed to suck. And that's like, oh, uh, you kind of like blindsided everybody there with that. Pulled a real um, Tommy Wiseau, huh? Y- yes, exactly. So it's fucking terrible. I think it's an awful, awful movie. But it is a fascinating watch anyway. Just like, okay. it's one of those, tr- it's, it's train wreck you can't look away from. It's, it's Tough men kind don't of fascinating. dance. T- tough guys don't dance. Tough yeah. guy, okay. There is one okay. scene you'll probably recognize because it became something of an internet meme. But I'll just let you see it for yourself if you decide to watch right. it. It was on. It was on Tubi. I watched it on Tubi. Interesting. Um, well, if it's free, you know, why yeah. not? Yeah. Uh, uh, kind of terrible. The other thing I want to say is, if you've ever, if you've ever seen it, uh, I watched um, Soylent Green. Actually, no, that might come up on the oh, podcast yeah. someday, so maybe I'll avoid that one. That I but, think that's a good call to yeah. keep that in the pocket. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I was traveling, so I got to you know. Watch a lot of movies, just hang out uh, with some people. I went to Asheville for a night, and the Asheville Pinball Museum was very Oof. dope. Oh my it God. was like $15 free play all night, and it had a bunch of uh, really old classic pinball machines, and yeah. then just some throughout the years. Uh, played a lot of Twilight Zone pinball. They had a Ghostbusters pinball, which of course played a lot of. Yep. Simpsons was right next to it. I think... Uh, one of my favorites to play was the Jurassic Park one. I thought that was really cool. So that was the um, one. It's like a more modern one with like the T Rex head, right? And you shoot yes, the ball and like, into it. It'll eat the ball, right? Yeah. yeah, that one took me a while to warm up to it because it's it's a very difficult machine. Uh, yes, but and it's kind of little, like once you figure out the paths to shoot on it, it's it's a, I love that machine. Yeah, it's a great one. Uh, but similar to your like anti recommendation, there was a really interesting game I played in the back because they had a bunch of weird different things. But uh, have you ever heard of Dragon's Lair? Oh yeah, absolutely. I love the Dragon's Lair. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I I understand an anti recommendation, but I think that thing is so special in its own way. 
It was uh, so interesting, and I would I would say it would be an anti recommendation if you have to pay for it yes. yourself. If yeah. it is a free play, like I I spent maybe seven minutes trying to figure it out, and it is like within forty five seconds. Oh, I'm yeah. having to restart the game. It's bullshit. Like, <laughs> it is complete bullshit. Definitely don't play in an arcade setting unless it's on free play. Um, I, I I think you can buy it for like five dollars on Steam. I think you can get that oh, okay, Dragon's wow. Layer Two, yeah. which is even harder, and you can get Space Ace, which I think is supposed to be the hardest one. But they're all very similar. If anybody doesn't know, they were video games um, that are like basically kind of like menus. They're animated menus where you select like yes what your character is going to do. Laser discs. Yes, exactly. Um, like I, the first time I played it was on, it was literally not on a game disc, but on a DVD and you played it with the DVD remote. That's how I first oh, played it. Okay. Um, yes. Cause they're, like I said, they're basically, it's basically a menu where you select, there's options for you to select invisibly. You just you have know. to hit the right one. Yes. Right? And it's bullshit and it'll change it up on you. Then it'll repeat sequences where it changes what you have to do or it'll invert it. But anyway, what makes it special is that all the animation is done by Don Bluth, the Disney mm-hmm. animator. And then independent animator um and the animation is fucking incredible i think it's all it really, really, cool. really good looking animation and really f- funny i think it's very silly and goofy um space ace 2 is even crazier there's a scene where you because you start traveling through time and, and not space ace 2, sorry dragon's layer 2 you start traveling through time and there's a scene where you're in beethoven's like living room as he's composing something and you're dodging his cat as it's attacking you uh, uh. It's crazy. I keep saying Space Ace because that's the another one he did that was sci-fi. But Dragon Slayer Dragon Two Slayer. is fucking yeah. wild. Uh, but like I said, pay like five dollars to play them on Steam, so you can just keep retrying. Don't play yeah. them in an arcade setting. Yeah. The uh, the the museum had they had like little cards above all of the, the machines, like what year it was from, who produced them, how many were produced, and they said on the top of this one that there was like. Probably it's estimated less than two hundred of the actual like box old boxes are working now. Whoa, wow, that's cool. So like, so they had it, and we talked. I showed you the picture of Hercules, which yeah. unfortunately was yeah, yeah, not yeah. functionable. But I would have loved to have played that one. It was that huge. one's that one's infamous. I I've never played it. I've never seen it. Um, I don't know if there's any like how many working ones there are left because that has to be a hard one to maintain. Regular pinball machines are already so yeah. complicated. Yeah. And he, they were, there was a little sign that they were trying to, like, I guess, you know, make a part to fix it. So right. that's what it has to come down to. But yeah, that one's so uh, big. That the, I've been playing the, Zelda. The balls are fucking. Oh, I've been playing that too. Oh, Look, if I if I awesome. started talking about it, if I started talking yeah. about Zelda, like, I mean, we would be here all day. So it's great. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. So you have one more, and then we got to talk about little creepy crawlies yeah 1.5 technically but i saw sorcerer at the new beverly and uh if people don't know about sorcerer seek it out immediately that includes you murph because uh you mentioned before we started recording you haven't seen this but sorcerer is another william friedkin movie from the 70s came out in 1977 a week after star wars um completely wiped the floor with sorcerer um and uh, there's a lot of more history with Star Wars and Friedkin because he apparently had a chance to go in on Star Wars early, kind of like Spielberg and Coppola did, you know, and uh, he refused 
and I was like, nope, fuck you. My movie's coming out a week afterwards, and then it completely tanks. Critics hated it. It's a remake of the movie Wages of Fear, which is like a classic, you know, French film. I think it's French. Um, and it in the years since, it's really taken off as a cult movie, and for great reason. It's a fucking masterpiece. Like, uh, I think it's better than The Exorcist, and it's better than French Connection, which are later two 70s freaking movies wow. I've seen. I still need to see, like, Live and Die in L.A., which I know people really love. Um, I have a 4K Blu-ray on pre-order. Uh, it's a hard movie to get, so it's getting a release finally. And so I had to buy it immediately. Um, but Sorcerer is absolutely incredible, and it's, it's I think, the most tense movie I've ever seen. The way he milks tension out of, like, the scenario is absolutely unreal. And it contains, to me, what are, I think... We just talked about this whole scariness thing and how it's kind of BS sometimes, but like there are shots in Sorcerer that are so terrifying for completely different reasons than anything else in The Exorcist. You know what I mean? Where it's just right. like a totally different type of fear that he is like pulling out. I I know the the basic premise of the movie, and I yeah. I can imagine it it being a very like uh, edge of your seat type of movie. Yeah, I mean watching. So I literally saw when we were in the theater. I saw people during scenes like move closer, like move forward, yeah. like lean forward, like during certain parts, and then audible moments of like, oh, like everybody even like, oh, like as things are happening on screen. It, it's so good. Roy Scheider is fucking great in it. Um, and I, it, it was a brilliant experience in the theater. So I absolutely recommend Sorcerer. Apparently, I think it was the first movie that Tangerine Dream ever scored to. So we have okay. Friedkin to thank for Tangerine Dream becoming so prevalent. Um, did they so, do the keep? They Am did. I remembering that yes. correct? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, great score on the keep. Yeah, not a yeah. great movie, but the score is awesome. Um, so after that, I decided a little too late after I watched Bug for the podcast. I was like, oh, you know what? Somebody sent me a while back um, the audiobook for the Friedkin Connection, which is his memoirs. That he narrates the okay. audiobook for too, and so I've been listening to that. I'm very deep into it now. I didn't get to, but I don't know if he talks about bug in this book. I didn't get to it, sadly. But I'm up to the point where he's talking about making the French connection, and this book is fucking fascinating. Friedkin himself reading it is so great, and like he's got this very peculiar accent. I guess it's a Chicago accent. That's where he's from, but like. He's it got his own way of speaking. Voice. Yeah, like, I I do love him in interviews, especially when he gets animated. About yes, something. and I I feel like he's become a bit of a meme in terms of like you know some of the stories he tells, or at least like in a podcast I listen to. Like I feel like freaking stories come up all the time, but he starts the book with like things he didn't do, where he's just like an artist sent me a manila envelope full of these sketches he was planning out and asking if I wanted to fund his blah blah. blah. He's like I threw the envelope in the trash. You know, like, you know, five years later, one of those drawings sold for $14 million. Then it's like, you know, I got a demo tape of some rhythmic music and a falsetto singing over it. It wasn't my kind of thing. It was by a young artist named Prince. I decided not to invest. And it's like, it's it's so funny. He's hilarious. He tells a, a this is really brief, because I know we got to talk about the movie soon. But um, when talking about making a French connection... There's a moment where the actual... Have you seen French Connection? Oh, yeah. With uh, Gene Hackman. Yes. So, uh, apparently, he didn't want to cast anybody who actually ended up in the movie. Like, except for Roy Scheider. That was the one person where he was like, yeah, this guy fits. 
but he didn't want to cast Hackman. He wanted to cast, like, um, he actually wanted to cast Jimmy Breslin. If you remember the writer from the beginning of Summer of Sam, the guy that intros yeah. the movie, being like, I'm Jimmy right. Breslin. Okay. I write about New York. He wanted to make him Popeye Doyle. Um, and Ugh. not because he wasn't, he wasn't an actor. He was just like, I think this guy's interesting and he could maybe do this. And so they actually, like, tried to, they tested out scenes and, like, Breslin just never got it. But, like, um, he, for the, for the role of the of the actual Frenchman, he wanted a particular French actor. And him and his casting director, he was like, oh, we were both, like, encyclopedias of foreign films, right? So he's like, you know, I would say, oh, who was the French guy in this one, like, Bunuel movie? And the guy's like, oh, you mean Fernando Ray? And he goes, I think so. And he's like, let's cast him. Let's get him. So they look into it. Fernando Ray's available. They fly him over. And, like, Friedkin goes to pick him up at the airport. And he's like, it's not the right guy. It was the wrong person. (laughs) And so he's just like, "Uh, you were in Bunuel movies, right? And he's like, yeah. He's like, were you in this one? He's like, nope. And he's, like, wearing, he's got, like, a goatee. And he's like, hey, you know, your character's kind of, like, he worked in the docks. He he's dealing drugs. He's kind of a tough guy. Would you maybe want to consider like shaving the goatee? And the guy's like, no fucking way. <laughs> like this is my goatee. I love it. I have sores underneath, so I can't do that. So just the complete wrong person. But it was way too late into the process to change anything. And the guy ended up being good anyway. But uh, I mean, actually, he's great in that movie. But um, like he was talking to the casting director, and he's like telling me he fucked up. And the casting director's like, what can I do to fix this? And freaking goes, kill yourself. <laughs> like, that was his <laughs> response. Um, and it seems like he's joking when he did that. But, like, it's a very, it's it's hilarious to hear him say it in the audiobook, you know. Uh, I will yeah. send this to you. I will send you the audiobook to listen to because it's fascinating. It sounds incredible. Uh, I Yeah, I would, I would love to hear that. It does remind me of the, as we were already talking about Robert Evans, but his... Uh, yeah. audiobook of him reading his own memoirs is just phenomenal what i get to, i have things. to get into that too i i think this might be my next thing after this yeah uh i remember i read the kid stays in the picture senior year of high school Ooh. and it was like i'm reading it in english class <laughs> and i mean that book's just so wild anyways but uh all right let's talk about bug bug I, I do love it starts in media res. We get just a random, weirdly lit shot, a bunch of tinfoil, and a body. And it's very quick, and then we just jump back to... I don't know. It's prob- It's not very long, right? It's like maybe no. three days. Uh, that, no, I three, think four that's days. A, I think it might be longer than that, but this that's just something I really like about the movie is that like uh, the editing, I think makes these weird jumps without explaining anything which I, I i really love um and so i don't know I, I i would imagine it's a little bit longer but i really can't tell uh and i think that's part of it is that like you it's like a sense of lost time maybe which mm-hmm. i think is intentional so but i, yeah, I would part, say part of psychosis is just yes not recollecting like what time it is type of thing right yeah but yeah i would say like a week maybe yeah maybe but Ashley Judd is a, I feel bad saying this, but she's kind of white trash, right? Like that's, I mean, that is what she it is. is. I, that's like, she lives yeah. in Oklahoma. She works at a gay bar, but she doesn't necessarily, she seems, it's not gay for pay, just for the attention. I think she uh, likes that. 
maybe her friend through the, through RC. The, and, yeah, it gives her attention. Yes, and through the course yeah. of the movie, like you get some of her views on things, which is actually I, the way that's rolled out is really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, because there's a lot of great uh, exposition mm-hmm. in this movie, and I will get to it because she keeps getting phone calls with nobody on the other end, and I think that is one of the greatest ways to do exposition is a character getting frustrated and then they just start like putting it out there. She's accusing it of her ex-husband. Although we never really know if the phone calls are real. Yeah. We, I assume they are, but yeah, we, you know, we don't know. Goss says he's not been calling. Yeah. Who else would be calling? The only other person that sees the phone ring is Michael Shannon. But I feel like that might be a, the crucial part where their shared delusions start. You know, I mean, that's because it's literally the same. Because that's also the same scene where they first see the bugs. It's the exact right. same moment, basically. Yeah, uh, that's a good thing. I mean, yeah, and then later they 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 ascribe the phone calls to the government. So uh, yes, yeah. But also, I want to I want to talk about this opening scene. is so fucking good to me. When I was rewatching it, like um, I I I started watching it before listening to the book, and then. I had started listening to the book when I watched it a second time this morning, and he talks about uh, one of his biggest inspirations is Citizen Kane. He says, like, going to see that for the first time at a revival screening, like, really kind of opened up the world of cinema to him. Like, he liked movies before that, but he, like, you know, was not, like, an avid film goer until he sure. saw that. And um, he uh, says that there's, you know, what it really taught him is, like, there's ex- things exclusive to film. Right, they they can't be done in any other medium. And after listening to the book, I started noticing right away in this movie what he does with that. Like, we talk about those time jumps of the editing. That's that's something that's kind of exclusive to to film. You just you jump to another location or another time period. You have no idea what is you know how much time is actually passed in those milliseconds. You know, right? But also in, in this first ever first shot of the movie, it's pushing after the body on the ground. I guess. It's that helicopter shot where it's kind of coming at the motel, you know, mm-hmm. and he superimposes the ceiling fan already worrying over it, which becomes like a recurring motif. And um, so it just instantly the he's implanting of the world, the machines of the world. It is also a very insect like noise that kind of accompanies the fan, mm-hmm. like a kind of buzzing or a humming that comes with it. Many and so legs. Just, exactly. And so just instantly he is putting you in this like sort of paranoid mindset, right? And it's very faint. It's not like it like is fully it's like a very faint image of the fan over the helicopter shot, you know? Um like it, it's a really nice subtlety to really to get you into it just right away. Uh it is a beautiful helicopter shot that basically comes right to Ashley Judd uh in her short shorts and uh, she lives at Rustic Motel, which is a dump. Uh, but it seems like she's got a fully furnished little, you know, motel apartment. Uh, I don't know if we said, but it's in Oklahoma, which is even worse than Texas. But <laughs> uh, she seems to have substance abuse issues as well. She's a big drunk. She smokes a lot of pot, snorts some coke from time to time. And... Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, works at the gay bar, and her friend RC is like, oh, hey, I want to go to this party tonight. You should come, but uh, I'll still go to your place, and hey, I got someone I want you to meet. 
And that's, that's kind of how this movie starts rolling. They start partying in Ashley Judd's apartment, and she meets Peter, Michael Shannon's character, who I think, like, the first thing he says in the movie is, I'm not an axe murderer. He says it, like, four times, yeah. Because <laughs> he's, so, he's so subdued as he's saying it, and he has to keep, uh, you know, repeating himself. Says that she's a very beautiful woman, which I do agree. I always, I had a big crush on Ashley Judd growing up. I mean, she's the she's what drives Al Pacino in Heat to say the famous great ass line, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's Can't about blame her. Him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh so yeah, there's just a lot of interesting things going on in this little section too. Like, um we talked about like uh her and RC and we learned that RC's in a custody her and her partner are in a custody battle for her partner's child. Mm-hmm. Um and Ashley Judd says the line, which it could just be you know the terminology of the time or something or it could be a i think later we it kind of reveals her true feelings on on uh homosexuality but like uh she says you could have couldn't have picked a worse place to be a homo than oklahoma or something like that where at the time i was like i kind of bristled but i was like "Uh, also they're friends maybe that's just a friend ribbing thing you know who knows but like that the way that escalates is so great i i that's one of the, the really good little like kind of uh sub stories in this movie is like her right their relationship and, and how it yeah. develops right but then as yeah. she as uh so like rc is saying she gets a phone call from her partner at the party she's got to leave because some guy is harassing her and like as they're leaving and i know they're they're kind of drunk at whatever at this point but rc and kisses. agnes are very kissy as she's leaving yeah mm-hmm. so what you're saying about her maybe kind of like playing into it for the attention like i think that that's a pretty uh astute observation well, pretty much right after that is is her and Peter talking, and he's talking about how he picks up on things, that he's very perceptive, yeah. and one of the first things when she asks is like, well, I can tell you're lonely, and she's like, well, what are you, Gene Dixon? Which is like an old, famous psychic thing. <laughs> I think that that was a really funny thing that he didn't know about. I was but, Peter uh, at that they... moment being like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, children. Um, but they, they have a a fun conversation. He's telling about where he's from, uh, how his mother passed when he was really young. His father's a preacher up in the panhandle, uh, how he comes from Beaver and Ashley Judd has the great line. Well, we're all from Beaver, ain't we? He doesn't get it. And you're like, does he? Yeah. Uh, there's a great line where he says his dad's a preacher, but she asks like, what does he preach like and he says like oh, he doesn't really have people or something like that right right where does he meet his people or something like that yeah, yeah. again and I, i'm not going to keep going back to the book because i didn't finish it and so there's uh you know it's all just speculation really but uh, i'm wondering if uh because a part in the book where he talks about making his first ever movie which was a documentary about this guy on death row and he got interested in the story because he was at a cocktail party. He was like a working, he was like a live action TV director at that point. Um, back when you had that in the you know 50s and 60s. And uh, he's at a party. There's a priest there, a guy with the priest caller. He asks him where he preaches. And the guy's like, I don't really have a church. And he goes, so, so like, where, what do you do? And he's like, I, I preached to, to inmates on death row. And then that was so fascinating to him. He dug deeper, learned about this one guy's case, mm. decided to do a documentary about him. So I know this is based on a play. Maybe that line is in the play. But that just like spoke to me of like, oh, the guy, a, a preacher without a people sort of thing. 
you know which okay. actually hey that Very even applies maybe that even applies to michael shannon as a character he does get preachy at some point you know and he hasn't oh, had sure. anybody to listen to him until agnes so hey things are clicking right now you know so, and it, it is pretty much like those people just stand up on the podium and shout conspiracy theories yeah. anyways so right. it's really not that much of a difference and you talk about he picked up it. on her loneliness and he talks about control, whatever. But those people who do try, who get into the habit of controlling others, cults and like things like that, they look for lonely, desperate people. And yeah. he admits right here, I'm picking up that you're lonely. And he managed mm-hmm. her to turn her to his cause. Like it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, she's, she's already, she's had a very traumatic episode in her past. Yes. Uh, yeah. And we'll be getting into that because... Uh, well, first off, that they they have the first bug interaction where they're right. trying to find a cricket in the motel, and they're searching everywhere. She says, "Don't kill it because it's bad luck." He's like, well, where, "Where'd you hear that?" He's like, "I don't know. Probably some smartass cricket came <laughs> up with it. Pretty funny." Yeah. Um, and they determine it is the smoke alarm, and eventually she he kills it with the uh, magic eight ball. And then he starts going into the like crazy conspiracy of, oh, don't you know there's like something something twenty nine in here? It's more radioactive than plutonium. It's like I did look it up. It's like a a americium one twenty one or something, which mm-hmm. I did look into it. That is in smoke detectors, but it's only it it is radioactive, but it's only harmful if it's like ingested. So we're okay. fine. Um, but yeah, it's, that's what or that's, that's part what of what they say. Yes. Right. Well, okay. You hey, good point. Good point. Um, <laughs> I do think I do love the sound design of this movie. Um, I think just I was really listening for it because this is Bug Month. A big part of bugs is the noises they make, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was really paying attention to any time they're outside. You obviously hear crickets and other bug noises, just as ambiance. And I and I think in any other movie, I would not would have would not have thought about it. But this movie is called Bug, and this is June Bug. So like. I was really listening for it, but it does sound like amped up on the soundtrack uh, anytime oh, yeah. you're outside. And then the cricket noise, like I, it sounds like a cricket. And then the noise when he he knocks it off the ceiling with the eight ball, it makes like a dying like like kind of noise that sounded very like a lot, you know, lively, like a guttural uh, death cry. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that was really well done. Yeah, she invites him to sleep on the couch. Uh, it's not putting her out since she's not sleeping on the couch. And eventually he sleeps on the floor because he's too comfortable. Yeah. I really like, there's a there's a shot I love when he's coming back inside from throwing the smoke detector where she's peeing. And in the same shot, we see him approach the door on the left. Like, it's yeah. just a really interesting angle to shoot the motel room. He's got a great eye for, mm-hmm. like, what a scene, what a shot needs to encompass. Yeah. Oh god. Okay, one more, one more shot. I just loved. I'm sorry, and it's a very weird moment that I don't know how it ties into anything else. But it's, I think it's, uh, maybe it's the next morning. But I don't know. It was when she goes outside to her car, and she sees that uh, only her the focus car. Pulls yes, the, when it, the focus pulls so showing good. each car individually. Yeah, so oh, cool. So good. Yeah. Yeah. But also, that's one of I those think that weird was little, a little earlier. Yeah, that's one that, of those little paranoid an, things. An odd scene. You know? Yeah. 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 It's one of those little paranoid things, like the phone calls happening, we never get an explanation for. And then that, why is it only her car that is targeted for this body shop thing? Um, 
they're these little things that stack up in, in your mind, in a paranoid's mind, to eventually build out a conspiracy, you know? Like, everything yeah. becomes fuel for the fire. It's all connected, right. So, uh, you know, they sleep in, and she wakes up in the morning, and someone's in the shower. Oh, she's like, oh, thanks for making coffee, and then we get Mr. Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. Uh, he's great in this. Have you ever seen him in, in a lot of things? I mainly know him as a voice in the Iron Giant, right? Okay. He does yeah. the voice of um, uh, uh, Dean in that, so that's that's primarily how I know him. Uh, I don't think I'm I've sure. seen He's too like much a else. Singer songwriter, like kind of a crooner yeah. type of personality. Right. Um, I always really love when we get those type of of singers like transitioning to actors. One of the other ones that this was making me think of is in uh twin peaks of yeah. course we have chris isaac uh, chris isaacs yeah and i so want there was an hbo show called the chris isaac show and i have tried hmm. to find it to watch it because it sounds interesting and fascinating to me but it's just it's i can't find it to watch anywhere yeah i have not i didn't um, know he had his own show i was having this, it's this been a while discussion since i tried but yeah, yeah. I was having this discussion with a friend recently about like uh, musician actor combos, and I, I made the stupid claim, and it might be true because of Jumanji actually, but who knows? But Jack Black really did become known as both a singer and an actor around the same time. Like he was doing both simultaneously as right, he was coming up. Right. Um, I mean, I, th- I feel like his music career got bigger as he became a bigger actor, of course. But like, yes. um, so people were going back to Tenacious D. But because of Jumanji, I am curious if he is one of the most lucrative, you know? Because um, Cur- that, that. Currently? Yeah. But then I started thinking about um, it more, and there's so many other options. Like, you know, obviously Elvis made a lot of movies back in the day that were big that's deals. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Barbara David Streisand. Quite a few movies. Right? Streisand. You got right. Yeah. Um, there's there's, there's a million of them. We got what? What's the name now? Harry Styles now was oh yeah throwing his hat into the arena. <laughs> yeah, like, Ryan Gosling has be, released one album. <laughs> it's not going to be it's very great. long until like um, uh, what's her name? Shake it off, lady. Taylor Swift is going to be like I'm she's, gonna. She's I'm been in movies. Be. She was in Cats. Oh yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I feel I feel We're like getting, she's been in a couple other things. Gaga like Miley... becoming more. Oh yeah, Ga- well. I mean Gaga is, is a really fascinating actress. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I actually really did like her in A Star Is Born, but yeah, Joker too. Well, I haven't seen House of Gucci, and I yep. need to, but I I am interested in Joker too, as yeah. much as I was middling on the first one. Uh, but yes, Harry Junior comes in and he comes in swinging. Uh, literally and metaphorically, because he is <laughs> such a great commanding presence. Yeah. And eventually, uh, you know, Agnes is keep saying, like, you should leave. Like, I hate you. I don't want you here. And she brings up the name Lloyd. I should have taken Lloyd. Yeah. And automatically he just backhands back, her. Peter comes in not too long after that. And they start yeah. having a very She's on the tense floor. standoff. Um, I love how condescending Harry Connick Jr. is to Michael Shannon's character, like all the time. Yeah, uh, there's a great, some great lines that that Jerry has in the in the argument scene where he 
he does threaten her. He's like, you know what I'll do if you've gone queer. Uh, more of this kind of undercurrent homophobia in this movie. Um, and then she, they talk about, he talks about the mistakes he's made and she goes, well, you tried to kill me. And he's like, oh yeah, that's when my drinking was pretty bad. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> you know how I get. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, but uh, he big mans Peter. Peter went out to get food. Jerry leaves saying he'll be back, which is terrifying when he says that. Gotta take uh, care of some business. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of why he starts staying, is that she's like, well, you know, I can be nice for protection. Uh, but I love that. Nice she, to have like, somebody around. Yeah. Yeah. She starts, she's like, okay, give me some aspirin. Oh, and he takes some because he's been having an issue with his tooth. Yeah. And uh, automatically after that, she's like, well, give me a vodka and Coke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't have to work tonight, so I'm going to start early. Yeah. And just, you know, keep drinking. They talk about how they're not safe anymore, anywhere. And I think that's very, I think that's only gotten even more relevant to our times of just like, uh, Flint, Michigan was after this, like all the Ohio train stuff, like just, it's, it's bad and it's only gotten worse. I got a text yesterday. Let me read it. Um, I got like a weird text that says, Hi, Gregory. According to the CDC, gun violence is the leading cause of death for children and teens in the United States. Um, to basically just like a text saying like, Hey, take action, contact your representatives and things like that to get stuff changed. But like, Jesus. the fact that I'm just getting a random text about children and teens dying to gun violence, you know what I mean? I'm just like, the fuck is going on this day and age? Uh, Freakin has said in so many words that this is really kind of about 9-11 and like the paranoia that that event kind of caused um, that continued throughout the years. This is six years later and we were, I mean, today we're still feeling the fallout of that, of that whole thing. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, cause this was like, I think mid or early nineties. So I wonder what Tracy Letts was like original inspiration for. Yeah. Exactly, it, it was, was written pre that, right? But Freakin says the movie in particular was drawing upon those ideas. I think, I think he's right. said that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he, he says he lays. He talks about this is where he talks about the the machines, right? Or he's just like, I lay awake at night thinking of the machines. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is real about spooky all that stuff. because he's he seemed fairly normal ish until then. He's actually kind of a comforting presence in the movie, honestly. And you it know, seems once you kind of hear like... more about him. He's very, you know, sketchy. Uh, it seems yeah. like he's rec- he recently escaped from the hospital. I don't, I don't think that they released him. But no, no, he wasn't. <laughs> it, Not released. It seems that like the, you know, the medication is wearing off, and he yeah. is is becoming more animated and uh, like big as it happens. It, it's it's important to mention that the night before she was kind of making like insinuations about because he says he wants to see her again she's like the last thing i need is a man and he says that women uh, aren't his bag i, I right? need a man like i need a goddamn hole in the head yeah uh but he says women aren't his bag and so she's questioning him about being being gay himself and she's a little accusatory with it but he's like no i just don't do that anymore for any like any side whatever because it's you know i just don't and at the moment, I believe him. Like in the movie, he's he's kind of shy and he's kind of reserved, you know, a little like. So the fact that he suddenly starts ranting about machines the next morning, I was like, oh, that's a fucking kind of scary turn, you know. Somebody you thought was going to be this like kind of like stalwart of comfort or something 
is suddenly revealing the, these issues they have themselves. Um, but she's in a very vulnerable place, right? And so she, she listens. Is. Yeah. Well, it, she... Before, I think, a lot of that... It might be afterwards, but they start talking about uh, Lloyd, which was her child with a Harry Connick Jr. And about ten years ago, when he was six years old, he was stolen from a grocery store. Which, yes. I don't know when you were growing up, but like that was when I was probably like seven or eight. I think that was more of a big national kind of news story like you would hear that so often of like you know children being kidnapped from grocery stores yeah i would hear the stories of like oh so and so was picked up on their way to school and like we had all the stuff in school like hey about talking to strangers and like i feel specifically grocery stores is yeah see i don't know that i'm talking about i don't know if i had that one specifically i've had moments of getting lost in stores like separated from my parents and getting lost that are very terrifying even as a child you know but I feel like that is a uh, a hard place to have one of those traumatic events is because you're always going to have to be going to a grocery store. <laughs> yes. That is just a fundamental thing we all do. Thankfully now, like, Postmates or, or whatever, like, you could avoid <laughs> it technically, but that is a... Sounds like, like you still have thing. some... Sounds like you have some grocery store trauma or something. <laughs> Every time I, I, I go past, you know, the, the produce section, I, I get very antsy. A chill down your spine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he offers to protect her and stay. And yeah. that's when he decides, like, well, if I was ever going to be with a woman, it'd be you. <laughs> this he, this she, part is pretty crazy. Basically just goes, come here, boy. No, she starts... He says that he's like he's like I could go to bed with you, and then she's like starts she puts her head on and like Almost sobs cry. for like three yeah. seconds, and then stands up, still has tears on her face, and she goes, "Come here, boy." And I'm like, "Whoa, that is like there is something that doesn't really wild about." She needs how attention, that all plays out. and that's yeah. that's what it, it comes down to. It is a great sex scene. I feel yeah. like it is uh, up there with like "Don't Look Now" caliber <laughs> of like very very realistic you do see michael shannon sucking on a nipple lots of Um, sweating yeah yeah great there's even certain parts of it where they look like they're outside yeah i i kind of noticed that too uh when they kiss you really see like like saliva saliva together Uh, yeah uh, Which is a detail I, when I whenever I notice that in a movie I'm like oh they really like went the extra mile there you know with that but yes the editing yeah go for it great editing ends on a praying mantis's face it's like a very big <laughs> yeah. close up of it you see, you see a bug like hatching out of a cocoon or something that... I, I, and I feel like what it does is it it cuts to the mantis face and then it's outside the motel at day and then it yeah. just like cuts to outside the motel at night Mm -hmm. what just so much wonderful editing and we haven't even talked about the 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 neon lighting outside the motel yeah yeah it's very like kind of mid-2000s digital post colorization i would say but in a way i kind of like you know to a degree i think it it gets more like that later on especially yeah but i feel like it's a, a a very good a precursor to the lighting that we're gonna have later on in the movie right. um i think uh editing in general is just one of freakin's like really strong suits when you watch sorcerer just you notice how hard the cuts are um and that's something he likes to do is just like 
these, like I said, these jumps in time where you're not sure how much time has been happened between, but it, there's there's a story in those time jumps somehow. And I feel like that's really true of Sorcerer, and that's true of this movie, where, like, uh, we have this very sensual kind of, like, emotional love-making scene that they have, and then just, like, a hard, like you said, a hard cut to day, hard cut to night, and suddenly things take a major turn. And it, it really feels like something has changed in this time, in this brief window of time, but you're not exactly sure how. Um, I, I really like, too, there's just a line right before they have sex uh, where she's talking about looking for her son, and she says she looks for him in her sleep, which I thought was a really sad, moving moment. Um, yeah. And she, de- to- she delivered. I mean, I, I we keep talking about Shannon a lot, and his yeah, but no, but but she, I think she's the MVP, right? She's fucking yeah. amazing. Yeah, she she is so good. I, I've always liked Ashley Judd. I love her in Twin Peaks season three. It's a very That's very right. small role, but she's got some really good scenes in that, and mm-hmm. somehow sells sexual chemistry with Richard Bamer, even though he's like in his seventies. Right? Again, searching for a sound. With yes. a very tall Oh yeah. Man. Oh yeah. Hey. I wonder honestly, I did think of David Lynch a lot while watching this. Um and I, I am curious if this is something that he might be into. Also, apparently David Lynch may have called Tough Guys Don't Dance a masterpiece. I have to look into that more. But uh Interesting. Just something to entice you. That uh, also don't be fooled, that movie has a weirdly high rating on Letterboxd. Um, but I think it's kind of a room sort of thing again, where okay. people are liking it because it's so crazy. Like, right. So uh, just be warned. Anyway, uh, the scene of the mantis face really gave me uh, impressions of The Exorcist with Captain Howdy blinking sure. in every now and just then. Kind of, you know, yeah, jumping up there. Yeah. Uh, well, we're gonna make a big left turn here, and we're gonna go into uh, Superdrive because a lot of it from yes. now on is just like monologues running downhill and like yeah convincing yourself logically of something that is not logical whatsoever um so he they're laying in bed it's dark blackness and he gets a bug bite and is trying to show her a bug that is not there and gets upset that she can't see the bug Mm -hmm. and she's just kind of like eventually like uh whatever i'm up i'm gonna go put on my robe i'm gonna start smoking a cigarette having a drink while he uh changes the beddings while naked it is a wonderful like illusion you never get a full picture yeah of the shannon dong there you, you see get, like the presence you see shadow every now and then yes. and then there's a scene coming up pretty soon where he's putting his pants on and he like lifts his leg, and I think you get like a side profile for a second, mm-hmm. for like half a second, for ex- yeah. for for twenty seven frames. Don't ask me how I know, but um, yeah, you see a lot of like you see a lot of him, and she even has a comment on it where she's like, "You have a nice body," and you're like, "You know, he does. Like he's mm-hmm. he's very fit. He's thin. He's looking good." Yeah, uh, I think I I think I looked it up or I watched it with Brittany. I think she said he was like thirty three. Or yeah. something. When he looks filming great. It. And, she, and I think she's like uh, maybe 39. I Barely 40. Oh, that's that. interesting. But, oh, wow. Um, huh. So they have uh, they have a really great conversation about bugs at that point and like what an aphid is. And it's like <laughs> a louse. Oh, you mean like a bed bug? No, a bed bug's this, a bed bug. This is really you mean like funny. Like a termite? No, that's a trip. This, this is it's a hilarious a- thing. 
It's almost like a who's on first routine. Yes. I, in I've that, seen discussing bugs. I saw a couple of comments Friedkin mentioned about this movie and like he he called it a black comedy at one point. And he actually he says that a lot throughout his throughout his book where he's just like, you know, it's kind of a comedy. And you're like, really? Like, that's a comedy to you? So I think he just has a really dark sense of humor, <laughs> um, which is fine. But like, I, yeah, there's definitely scenes in this that do play out. very. That one that that conversation is pretty fucking funny. Where he's yeah. he's like you know she's like well, what's a bed bug is a bed bug but no like what kind of bug is it a bed bug, bed bug. you know yeah yeah I feel like that's uh, probably taken straight from the play like that that feels a very that, that feels play like crafted yeah. conversation right mm-hmm. that someone has spent a lot of time like perfecting the beats of that um, yes she talks about like wanting to get an exterminator and he's very hesitant is constantly like I'm not gonna tell you what to do but I wouldn't do that. And then when she's like, well, why not? He just explodes, takes off. And as you say, he puts on his pants and you get that little side profile. Um, she's <laughs> you know, kind of begging him and he just takes off. She throws the glass at the door, which is just like a great explosion straight to the bathroom and crying. Yeah, this stuff Eventually, is... Eventually, Peter... That, that scene is hard to watch. Like, she's so convincing, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yes. Eventually, Peter comes back and gives a, a whole story about uh, being AWOL and running away from... Uh, he mentions at times the Gulf War. I guess we should say it's hard to say when this movie takes place. Yeah. But if it's, it's the Gulf War, that's, it's only like 13... I mean, like that's the weird thing. Is you, if you really think about it, like it's making me realize you know i was a kid in the mid 2000s and early 2000s basically but right. the gulf war was so recent still like that's like that's sure. early 90s this is only 15 years later and now when i think back to 15 years ago 15 years ago was 2008 like that isn't that that to me is not that crazy of a span of time you know right. we're still feeling we're still seeing the issues coming up with people who went to afghanistan and, and iraq in the early 2000s yeah like, we're still feeling the impact of, of those people and what they've been put through. So it's not too crazy to me if it's the Gulf War to 2007. Like, that that makes sense as a time frame. Well, it feels like what I'm saying is, like, it, it when the play takes what was probably written. Takes I place. see, like, I, I see. I feel like yeah. it is a mid-90s. No one has cell phones. Like, that's not really an issue. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, because it's a, it's, it's a, yeah, it's like a bedside phone, like a landline phone that she's using in the motel. That's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, okay, I just see what you're saying now. Yeah. Um, eventually, he's like, well, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll get all the, the fly exterminator stuff. Don't worry about it. Uh, and this is another great of the, like, editing, cutting. We don't know how long it is, but Peter is there in the motel room alone. There are fly strips everywhere. I love it. They're even on the ceiling fan. Yeah. So they are just swinging in the air. Uh, very just insane look. And we get uh, Harry Connick Jr. coming back, being a creep, you know, breaks in with the, the credit card. He's absolutely being a creep, but I, I will say there's a part here because Michael Shannon went through a bunch of the stuff in the motel to get the microscope. It's a children's microscope. And so there's a lot of like children's things out, out and about now because that's what he, he had took out Lloyd's things to get the microscope. Um, when Jerry comes in and he sees this stuff, a really cool shot from above the ceiling fan over Jerry, by the way. Like, that, yeah. I thought that was cool. When he's laying on the bed. But um, 
when Jerry sees all the kid stuff, he picks up like uh, sure. like a onesie or a shirt, and he smells yeah. it. And I just thought that was like a weird humanizing thing because he's uh, he is emotionally affected by smelling it, and it made me think of uh, of uh, the amazing ending scene to fucking uh, Brokeback Mountain when Heath Ledger oh, right, smells sure. the jacket yeah. or the shirt. Um, and it's, it's like that's it's like one our of the strongest tie to memory. Like, yeah, exactly. So it's this little moment yeah. that really humanized Jerry to me, and I'm like, this guy's a piece of shit, and he's awful, but he's still, but he's still he misses the son. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. he says, "Hey, you might want to put this stuff away. It might make Agnes upset." And I, I got the impression in my second watch, he's projecting. He's talking about himself. He's getting mm-hmm. upset by seeing this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why he's getting so angry too. Like, yeah. Uh, he has a great little. Uh, side conversation about like where the tv is you know he had like yeah. a 19 inch rca <laughs> and like how would you stay connected to the world how would you know if fucking martians landed and are invading the city just a, hey. i didn't mean to but a wonderful bridge between these absolutely months. oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh that's when rc and agnes come back and uh aggie's basically like trying to get him to throw him out while he's trying to tell a pork party story, and I really want to hear the end of that story, it sounded yeah. like really funny. Seriously, Honestly. and that's one of my lines yeah. of the movie: "Is was that the fucking pork party?" When she mentions it, yeah. <laughs> I do. I also love the part like you don't see it, but you can tell from Harry Connick Jr.'s performance and like what he's saying is like Shannon like must have cracked a smile. He's like funny, right? Yeah, like yeah. goes on. As he's, as he's doing he's very animated as he's telling the story um but uh peter freaks out when rc is trying to call the cops and that's when i think right around there we start getting the oh uh look at this bug that's feeding on my blood and at yeah. first she's like i don't see anything he's like but that's what it is that's what it is and eventually uh what was it? Oh, so they start having the conversation about are there bugs or are there not bugs? Right. It is it doesn't a very say vacancy. It says situation. vacancy or no vacancies. It doesn't say possibility of vacancies. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't say maybe vacancy. Right. I think that's, I think so that's a wonderful like yeah conversation. Uh, just like some great dialogue. He ends having like a, a a fit that ends in a seizure. Like he takes off his shirt and he's like smacking himself around. I do. They're going back a little bit. I love the shot of when Harry Connick Jr. is saying, I'm going to stay here, is like, I wouldn't. And just, like, smacks his neck. It's like, we're infested. God, yeah. That stuff's so good. The little stuff. And then his, his fucking freak out is some of the most... It, it's such intense physical acting mm-hmm. when he's, like... It, it, <laughs> I don't want to be the guy that's just like, oh, well, he directed The Exorcist, so there has to be connections to this movie. But he is almost, like, levitating off the bed at a certain point because he's, like, hitting it so hard and bouncing up, you know? Made me it's, think of yeah. The Exorcist, of like of Reagan floating above it, like. Um, but it it is like it, it's it's scary. It is scary because it's like he's really throwing himself at it and mm-hmm. having to like calm him down and wrap him and think. And then when she slaps RC, it's like RC. really shocking. Yeah, it lashing out is like, why are you trying to take the one good thing I have in my life? It's like, lady, you met yeah. him like four days ago. Well, who knows? But yes, uh, right, she went to a right. doctor. By the way, a doctor says there were no bugs. They look self-inflicted. The self-inflicted. wounds on them. Yeah, and his like stomach. I mean, he shows his abs 
Like it's it's a it's fucking hor- it is horrifying. You're like, oh my, it, right. yeah, very bloody and scratched up, and yeah. Uh, I noticed on the second wash that this is when they bring in like three giant rolls of tinfoil. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? The dermatologist in the liquor store. Oh, I there's missed like, that. Yeah, there's like three things of tinfoil in the bag that they carry. Oh, in that's great. From it, which is like the next scene is now her on the floor, like Peter kind of laying down, cradling, and you're starting to see some things covered in tinfoil, like the hot water heater has it on it. The little table starts having the tinfoil on it. But I love she just she's just kind of talking and she has this wonderful monologue talking about how like she does she hasn't known him that long. But yeah. All we do is talk about bugs. I guess I'd rather talk to you about bugs than nothing to nobody. Yeah, Jesus really Christ, that line. Yeah. Heartbreaking. Just very emotional. Where you 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 see how anything could have come into her life and overwhelmed it. It she just needed something to latch on to that she was just kind of in the ocean just kind of going back and forth just looking for land almost it's it's a very it's a tragic story that we're getting to and we don't even technically know we should get into it really are there bugs are no. there really bugs i mean is no, it all right? delusional i mean yeah absolutely it's all delusional yeah and that's the, that's the thing i was reading like a contemporary review i don't remember if it was from roger ebert or maybe it was a maybe it was a letterbox review i read i don't know somebody was saying like they were faulting the movie because it's like oh but you never actually believe them for a second but that to me is like i don't think this movie's trying to get you to believe what they're believing i think it's really just trying to show you the sadness and the tragedy of these two people two lonely people like finding a commonality and delusion you know mm-hmm. like it's not meant to convince the audience it's just meant to portray the sad lives of these people you know and like how paranoia takes effect it's not trying to convince you and like if if it was like for a moment where oh am i questioning are there actual bugs and things like that i, I want to maybe gimmicky is not the right word but that feels like it would be playing into like the i don't know to me it's sadder the antithesis we, of the theme of it yeah it's sadder but we don't believe them for a second we just mm-hmm. think they're two delusional people that have found each other and you see the sadness and like it, it could have been good between them if they had gotten a handle on this you know maybe but like uh yeah if those I, crazy I don't think, kids I don't... had gotten into couples therapy or something you know right exactly i was i was on my first watch looking out for like the clues like oh we're gonna see an actual bug in the apartment but you never do and i think that's the key so there is, I mean, there is the idea that, like, the world is different than what they're seeing, right? Because we had earlier when they hug after, um, I forget when it is exactly, but when they hug and the, it's after he tells her his backstory, I think. And then they're hugging and then the helicopter sounds start going crazy and the room starts shaking. Yes. So we are seeing things that aren't actually happening in the movie. Even then, we still never see a bug. We never, right. we as an audience, never make that leap to seeing bugs either. Aside from the little, like you know, stock footage inserts he does of like bugs or the praying mantis, that's the only time we ever see insects in the movie. Because even when he like picks the aphid and he's trying to show it, it's like yes, we never see it. It's, it's so, so tiny, small. and it's it takes so her a while to see it. Yeah, before she admits yes. to seeing it. Right. Right. Uh, this is where they start having the conversation about where the bugs are coming from. He's thinking it, it's it's from him. It was the government experience that there's egg sacs within him. So that's yes. when he decides to do a little bit of home dental work. Dude, fuck this. This scene is fucking ridiculous. Insane. Yeah. So, yeah. so insane. So much blood. 
And then after he finally pulls it, like cracking the tooth and putting it God. under the microscope, his his reaction after he sees it is this is like, oh, oh, oh. dude, this back. is the part and where then, I was talking about his facial expressions. Like yes. it's incredible. Yeah. Um, right after this, after Judd gives a, a wonderful delivery of the line, millions, and mm-hmm. then it is those those cut inserts of like maggots or like lots of bugs and, and things. Um, yeah so insane then we cut to the room is covered in tinfoil top to bottom i do love i noticed this on the second viewing the paintings are not covered oh interesting so like like as as you're going across the wall you still have those landscape paintings that she brought up in the beginning when he comes in like that she hated them when she first moved in was going to take him down and then just never did got to the point where she likes them um i yes so i i love in any movie there's it's a movie trope that i think is not talked about a lot but it, it does happen in a lot of different genres across cinema but any movie where two characters or multiple characters whatever stop down and analyze a piece of art that's always the movie being meta about itself Mm-hmm. or revealing something about the deeper themes of the movie to you. And so in this case, what's going on is that it's it's like a seaside like town, right? So we're looking at some docks, some empty streets, and there's a house with some lights on or something like that. And she's talking about, you know, I was going to take it down as soon as I got in here, but then I decided I kind of liked it. And he says, there's things hidden in this picture. There's people and things. You just have right. to look close enough and you start seeing them. Right? So it kind of ties into his line before, his oh, I pick up on things, right? Higher perception, right? But this is higher perception and that paranoia of, like, there's nothing in the painting, but he alone can see these things and, and people mm-hmm. in it, make connections and draw things out of it that aren't there, you know? And that's the movie Which telling you what it's about. With yeah, to a degree. That's what, I, that's what I do every week on this podcast, you kidding me? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I just think that's a brilliant little scene of telling you exactly what the themes are of noticing things in, 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 you know, in the world that aren't actually there. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, well, I think that's great. I don't think I'm ever going to watch that museum scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off quite the same way <laughs> now. I have to go back and watch it. I haven't seen that movie in so long. Like, it'd be interesting to go back and, you know, think about it like to that think way. about that. Well, but, I just like the, where Cameron's looking at the dot painting. Yeah, that's, as you're talking like, about that, that's all I'm thinking about. Yeah, even like Dress to Kill, Dress to Kill is that great scene in the museum where there's no dialogue of the characters appreciating art, but if you just mm-hmm. look at the art they're looking at, that art itself is a comment on what's going on in the movie. It's it's sexual mm-hmm. and primal, like the art they're looking at. It's like when when a screenwriter or director or whoever includes scenes like this in a movie, they are the most important scenes often. You know. Uh, I mean, even Vertigo, which that I, scene in Dress to Kill is based on. That's another one. Yeah, I was exactly. thinking of, of, of Carlotta, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's always um, important. This is where we get introduced to Dr. Sweet. And he's at the door. He's saying, oh, I'd like to help Peter. I think he's here. Um, all right. Well, I'll come back. Thanks a lot. And uh, Dr. Sweet and Goss, Harry Connick Jr.'s character, just break in. And yeah. eventually Dr. Sweet's like, okay, Give me a couple minutes. Let me try to talk to her. And uh, is reasoning with her while she is flying off the deep end, really getting into the bug conversation. Talks about how the bugs are the transmitter. Or that's why they have all the tinfoil. 
she is like in such a feral mode, even when she's going to answer mm-hmm. the door, the way she's creeping through the apartment, and then like her sort of powerlessness as it as is, yeah, like a Doctor Sweet is talking to her. Very yeah. like Yeah, frantic. Yes. And it's even the fact that like we talk about, you know, how she gets convinced by Peter of all that's going on with the bugs, you see her starting to erode as Sweet talks to her. She's right. just in such a vulnerable place and anybody that is talking to her for an extended period of time and telling her what she wants to hear, she's gonna start believing them, you know? It is exactly how they describe Donald Trump in the White yeah. House. And, and whoever and the- <laughs> talked to him the last would be the one that like had the point of yeah. conversation. And the actor playing Dr. Sweet, I've already forgotten his name. But Brian he does a good job. Price, uh, yeah. He does a he does a good job where he's trying to appeal to her like at first and be like, hey, he was incarcerated in a mental hospital, right? And she's like, right. Well, I know that. So she's discounting the reality of things, right? She's like brushing it away. So then he you notice the shift in his personality when he decides I have to I have to play to the, to the delusion, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have to like change up my strategy here. And it starts with well, so here's the thing. I always thought that little pipe was like cocaine. It is just I think a it's just mini weed, bong. Right? Yeah, yeah, because it it is an odd thing. I do love how he points to is like how often do you hit that? She's like as yeah. often as like goddamn like, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I would say as well. <laughs> Uh, but he takes a couple hits and she's like, be careful. He's like, eh. It's like, well, you're sitting on 20 gallons of high tests. And uh, yep. it's very interesting. And this is this is when that kind of starts taking over. Is He takes the hits and starts talking about how bugs are a fairly common delusion among, like, schizophrenics. And that's what... I love his line of, like, that... He gives the diagnosis of Peter, but he's like, but I'm not a big fan of labels. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I think that's a fun line. She asked why they would do that, because he's playing into the delusion of, like, it's the government, they did all this. She asked why would they do that, and his response is, it's what they do. Which is another great way of just giving that person enough that they are, like, creating whatever they want with it. Peter comes in, well, at first he brings up Lloyd, and that he can help her find Mm -hmm. Lloyd, if she helps him with Peter. And uh, it, it's sad. It's tragic how much it really she wants yeah. that to happen. Yeah. Um, Peter comes in and he looks real good at this point. He is just all beat to shit. They're, they talk about how uh, she's going to be cutting the egg sacs out. And he says, right. like, well, you might not have a lot of Peter left if when you're finished. Yeah. <laughs> for you or for me. He he looks so fucked up when he comes out. His his eyes mixed with his like mouth at a kind of a cockeyed yeah. like angle because of the tooth missing. It seems um, like he did like a little cut under the eye, like trying to get something yeah. out of the cheekbone. Oh, just, there's um, also there's shots earlier in the movie. I just fucking really disturbed me when he's like doing the bloodletting for the microscope, and then you see her right. when she has she says there's a subdermal aphid, and she takes like a bobby pin and is digging Ooh, at it like it yeah. fucking oh god yeah. Um, and he thinks that Dr. Sweet is a robot. I love his, like, <laughs> talking to, like, yeah, yeah like, 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 oh, oh, what, what, uh, new, new sound card? Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, here, it, it's a machine. I'll show you. And I think this might be one of the most brutal kills we have covered it's, on this it's, podcast. It's savage, yeah. It's very intense. You see the knife, like, many, many times going into it. 
But then it's afterwards of he's, like, trying to convince her it's a robot. So he's, like, digging in to the sweet corpse, like, the entrails. Right. And then is rubbing the blood on his face. He, like, licks it at one point. Oh, God, um, yeah. Ugh, I forgot about that. So disturbing. So very disturbing. And uh, I think this is what he gives, like, uh, he should have been nominated for an Oscar. and They, they both should have been. Clip. They both should have been, um, yeah. Right, I, I I totally agree. Of him, him, like this whole downhill monologue about the insanity of, um, I think it's funny because we're recording this on May twenty eighth, but he says May 29th, nineteen fifty three, and like starts going <laughs> into like a consortium of CEOs and government officials met, and they've been meeting one day every year, like just keep the status quo, rich get richer, poor get poorer. Uh, ends up bringing up Timothy McVeigh. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ted Kaczynski, and I thought this was really funny when we were watching the movie. Brittany, uh, I was I was talking to her about like, do you know who Timothy McVeigh is? I paused the movie. I was like, do you know who Timothy McVeigh is? And she was like, um, the Unabomber. And I go, no, 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 no. Close. Uh, eventually, letting her know that it was the Oklahoma City bombing. She's like, wait, those aren't the same thing. <laughs> There was a lot of weird bombing things around then, so, you know. It was the 90s, you know. Uh, yeah. But then she was, she's totally convinced that there are other people out there who think the Unabomber and the Oklahoma City bombing are the same. I, I could have gotten, I honestly, I could have gotten those confused. <laughs> Oklahoma City bombing, although I think that one, I, I never remember Tim McVeigh's name, but um, I do know that that happened uh, on the day of my first birthday in 1995. Oh. Wow, yeah. um, that, that's how I that's how I remember that. But if you had told me that it was Ted Kaczynski who did it, I may have believed you because <laughs> the the name Tim McVeigh it was familiar to me. But I was like, I think he's a domestic terrorist, but I don't, I, you know. So yeah, look, yeah. I'm in Britney's camp here. I could have believed it. <laughs> uh, Tim McVeigh is also famous for his last meal being like two giant things of mint chocolate chip ice cream yes yeah yeah uh nick weiger uh, brings it up on doughboys all the time right because yeah. it's like oh if you're gonna go out like make a fucking mess as you go out because you're gonna <laughs> you're just gonna like shit liquid for god the whole Speaking time of putting you're the, frying there's a scene in there's a there's a part of the book where when freaking is talking about doing research for his documentary about the guy in death row he became close to another guy who was sentenced to death and actually attended his execution by electric chair and him describing it, like, it was almost a naked lunch moment where I was listening to that audiobook and, like, having, like, an out-of-body out of experience being, like, this is this is a lot. When he's talking about the, this, the description of him witnessing this guy die by electrocution in the chair is so fucking upsetting. Like, uh, you know, it, it's a wild moment. Yeah. Uh, Crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just thought we mentioned it briefly with, like, the lighting outside. Now with everything being tinfoil inside... It's also lit by the bug zappers. Yes. So you're getting yeah, this, I love that. this weird blue hue to everything. Um, and it, it's really great. We, uh, they start talking about Lloyd again. He's trying to get to the point of like, what don't you know? And it's just a lot of like crazy logical conspiracy things. I wanted to say one quick thing before you have your point is, um, again, amazing editing. When she talks about it, uh, she talks about the reason she left him in the cart was to go back to get an onion. And there's just an insert shot of the onions. And yeah. it is just, it is a heartbreaking thing to see. 
just the empty nowhere. shopping cart. Because earlier yeah. when she's in the grocery store buying alcohol, she has that moment where she stops, looks at onions, and looks at her cart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes, great insert there. Yeah, totally. I wasn't going to have any point. Just she's got an inc- She's so fucking good during this scene. This yeah. is her Oscar clip. And yeah. then it all yeah. leads to the glorious line reading of I am the super mother bug. It's uh, because I, I love she the just, logically to that. She's the queen. Yeah. And that but he's was, just like, you know, fit the pieces together. He's like, grab it, get another piece, get another piece. Come on. Well, he's leading her through it. Yeah. And exactly. it is that thing where it starts with real life trauma of her son going missing. Right. And it really, it leads you down such, not that, again, not that we believe it as the audience, but I understand how a paranoid person is going to believe something like this where it's like okay well he's gone but he was smart so it had to be somebody he knew that took him so there's my husband and so and because he the gets out of jail a little early me, so there's they just paid goss yes to do it exactly They're there's the ones, always they there's always little dna yeah it's not these giant leaps it's not a giant leap from hey my, my son has gone to there's mind control bugs inside of my boyfriend but right. it is these little pieces that he says. It's little puzzle pieces you connect to get to this bigger, bigger conspiracy. It's every little thing that leads up to it. That's what makes it believable to people who are prone to believing these things. Again, it's not that the audience is convinced, but I completely understand how the character of Agnes is convinced by this. You see, um, you see the logic train that yes. they take. Like you see each step, and it's yeah. not the it, like you're saying. It's not the the biggest leap between those. So you're like, right. okay, as you see it, it continue. Um, yeah, I love that line. I'm a super, I am the super mother bug. Right, because eventually they decide that there is a drone and there's a queen and mm-hmm. that the drone is inside of Peter. And when they had sex, the queen inside of uh, Agnes gave birth to the bugs, which is why they didn't start discovering them until after they had sex. Yeah. And that uh, the government wants to destroy them because they're not going to do what they do. Right, because she is their mother. Because, yeah. Right, because they love her and they'll never leave her. I but think that's, that's the a thing. Very that's important part. The, the reveal they'll about her, her insecurities. Yeah, where it's mm-hmm. like, I have these bugs and suddenly the bugs love me. Right, mm-hmm. like, yeah. And then this again, this is where we kind of bring full circle her weird homophobia, too. Because she's like, well, RC is in on it because the government would never give a baby to a couple of queers. This thing's what she says. When I'm like, oh my god, like, it's such a, you know, it's like, again, that, that, thing, is, that thing has been in her all along. It's the paranoia that brings it out, though, that really, like, enforces it. And I think that's something that, like, that's why you have these conspiracy theorists who become kind of crazy anti-Semites, too. Or they get revealed as crazy anti-Semites. It's kind of like, I, I, I've heard somewhere in a podcast, but like, there's just a, a startling number of cons- of these conspiracy theories. Like, even Agent Aliens gets into anti-Semitism eventually. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? Like, all of it somehow leads back to, like, Nazis. Because it has like, to be, like, there's prejudice within it. Like, that's yes. the conspiracy of, like, there's a, yeah. there's a good reason for me to be prejudiced. Exactly, yeah. And so that's that's what it gets to homophobia for her, where it's like, well, she's gay, and that's why she would turn against me, kind of a thing, yeah. you know. It's because they can. Yeah, it's yeah. It's I, I thought it was really fascinating, and it's not harped on too much, but you just see the harshness of her language evolve as she talks about mm-hmm. RC, you know. Um, but I thought that was really fascinating subplot. Uh, and this is the point where uh, Pizza Harris knocks on the door for <laughs> yeah, uh, a, pi- is... a pizza with everything. I it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> what I imagine is when Doctor Sweet told Harry Connick Jr. to go outside, he said, "Well, I guess I'm going to be here a while. Let me order yeah. a pizza." 
I'll order it to her room. Let me go sit in my car. And he fell asleep while waiting. I really don't know, but I, it is it is one of the funniest moments of the movie to me because the knock the knock on the door. They, he says it's a pizza, and then like it's this crazy intense scene right before, and then just like yeah. Michael Shannon going, "You order a pizza?" <laughs> like it's just so <laughs> calm and like confused for a second. Like it's like, like he kind of like, comes back to reality for like half a second. It's like you order a pizza? <laughs> like I, I just love it. his line delivery is so good right there. Yeah, uh, they study it under the microscope. They think it's poison, so they're like, "Okay, well we're gonna end it all." Um, I love this is when Goss starts pounding on the door. And they get the helicopter type thing happening again. Yeah. So like their delusions are, are really uh, taking the most advantage of them. There's a great spinning camera from above them. This is they're just yeah. kind of t- twirling around, and uh, they decide to take a gasoline bath. And mm-hmm. he's like, "I am the drone. You are the mother." As they pour it over. Well, I should they say get they naked. both get naked. Yes. It's something about that was so startling. When it happens, because it's like they go from clothed to naked within like half a second. It's it's kind of weird. Um, but that that spinning shot above, I really, really took notice at the second watch because uh, I was reading a quote from Michael Shannon about the movie where he, he says that he views this as a romance primarily. Um, I can see that, and there, yeah. There is something about that helicopter shot or the, that shot from above, sorry, the spinning shot where they're they're both like arms up laughing kind of half embracing and it's like there is something about the ecstasy of romance of the moment it's like something you expect to see in uh you know west side story like yeah they kiss for the first time or like when he's singing her song you know about right uh, he loves the name it's this moment where they're both so invested in each other and each other's delusions that they're gonna kill each other like it's it is this like height of like emotionality for them uh yeah really really tragic but the way it's portrayed as romantic in the moment or like it could be seen mm-hmm. as possibly romantic i thought was 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 fucking fascinating well then they say after the bath they say i love you and they light a match then she seems very worried in pain that's the last kind of uh thing you get from her and then you just see fire for a little bit and credits start rolling and then crickets mm-hmm sound with the credits and then you get a little bit of helicopter sound as well yeah and then a whole year yep. before uh iron man you get some uh you know you get some we get a mid-credit scene of... mid and post-credit scene yeah what was the post-credit one the post-credit so the mid-credit scene is the children's stuff all laid out right right no sign no sign of tinfoil or anything yeah so we're casting doubt on any of that happening although i think i mean dr sweet does comment on the tinfoil but you know mm-hmm. who knows. Um, but after the post credit scene is the same shot as the f- the first shot of Sweet's body laying okay. there in the tinfoil with no no signs of fire or anything around. Mm. Interesting. Kind of thrown out of the whack. I I do think those little hints that there might you know what I mean. I that is something that doesn't quite work in the movie. I think it's fine if we just believe that they did the tinfoil and burned themselves alive. I don't know why we have to throw doubt on that kind of stuff. You know. Sure. Um, you know, there are parts where she says she has a gun, so that could have just oh, yeah. been, you know, a, a delusion, the fire, a delusion, and they just shoot themselves instead. It, there's a lot of, again, just vagueness because we are dealing with people. We are, are having a break from reality. So, yes. um, yeah. uh, let's give some final thoughts and rate this. What do we want to rate it out of, um, aphids? I like that. Trips. 
right? Is that what he calls termites? <laughs> Uh, uh, let's see. What else would there be? I think Eighth um, is good because I think I think uh, I think for this month maybe we don't have to do this for every movie, but we're talking about different kinds of bugs throughout the month. I, that's you know? true. We could just do the the specific bug we're talking about. Mind I was just about bugs. to say out of vodka and cokes, but out of Timothy McVeigh's is is <laughs> no, no, no 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 out um, of pork okay. party out of pork parties pork parties. Yeah, that's not bad. I kind of like it's pork your choice. Parties. All right. Okay. Um, Pork Parties. I think this is a <laughs> superbly written movie. There are some tremendous performances. It is beautifully shot and edited. The lighting is just gorgeous and amazing throughout. It's uh, hard to find some real faults in this movie. I think it is just a very um, wonderfully paced. It's only an hour and 42 minutes. It really feels like uh, every act is, is really contained within itself. Of you have the meeting, then you have the bug issue coming, and then it is the insane tinfoil um, doctor coming in, in an idea. Um, it is just a a testament of some really old school movie making and amping up tension, being able to like pick the right shots, the right music, and being able to convince you of things just like peter is doing with agnes that freaking is uh toying with our emotions just like these people are doing to each other consciously or subconsciously i believe with peter it is all subconsciously he's not intentionally wanting to go and turn her into uh you know a lunatic but he is bringing her to his level because she's kind of like a flag in the wind if if she talks to someone just long Mm. enough that, that's the direction she'll be blowing. Um, I think this is a, a 4.4 pork parties. Nice. Okay, brilliant. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm echoing a lot of what you said, but I, I think the writing in this is so fucking good. But it's really, really anchored by the two performances from uh, Michael Shannon and, and Ashley Judd. Yeah. Both incredible. Both maybe my favorite performances from them. Like, I just, I, I can't, state how fantastic Ashley Judd is at literally every second. Um, mm-hmm. Even if she's just sitting there listening to Peter rant, she's still doing so much to convince you. And it's even more impressive because I was reading that apparently Friedkin tried to just do one take for all, a lot of these. Where he would just do one take and be like, alright, moving on. And they would have to be like, wow. no, please let us do a second take. Please let us do at least one more. So it seems like it was done in minimal takes, wow. shot very quickly. The set was built inside of a high school gymnasium. Um, and so like, it's just like the fact that you're manning, managing to pull out these performances and this kind of movie out of those like really simple conditions that it really shows you the powerful directing hand of William Friedkin in this, um, who had, I think really fallen off at this point until he came, you know, this came out and this was a, maybe a little ignored at the time, but I think it got pretty good reviews and, um, I just looking back on it now, I'm like, fuck, this is like something really special, and I think it's a really. I just want to compliment you because this is a really good pick for bug horror because it's not exactly what you think of. You think exactly. of bugs attacking people. You think of like you know radioactivity. You know that's what I thought they were kind of going for a second when he mentioned but the radioactive the fear material of bugs, yes. even if they aren't there. Is right, very, and, this, and very then scary. The multiple the the multiple entendres of the word bugs 
where a bug is a virus. They talk about something spreading like a virus. A bug is like an eliciting bug. They talk about the bugs being transmitters in this, right? And the machines, mm-hmm. like a mechanical, like a listening device or something. There's exactly. so much you could interpolate from that. Like, uh, I, I just think, I, I love this movie. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I think it does get at something um, really fascinating about human psychology. You know, this idea of paranoia. And that, again, building this puzzle that only that only you can really see and that idea of like oh only i can pick out what's actually going on in this image uh and it's extrapolating that into like conspiracy paranoia and you know all this stuff i i I loved it i think i'm gonna go four point i just be a little different 4.5 pork parties um you know I, i i can see the black comedy angle that freaking was going for too Oh yeah! Uh, totally on top of that. being just like a like a romantic tragedy, like there's a lot going on here. I thought it just worked so well, so I, I loved it. Big fan of this movie now. Well, I'm glad. Well, Grub, we we have a very special occasion for next week. Uh, yeah. it will actually be our 100th episode proper episode. Uh, we did the like intro and the and the horror draft cross. Like we're not really counting that. That's a spinoff yeah. episode. Um. We've covered 99 movies, um, and we're going to talk about them next week. We're going to have a little fun uh, ceremony just to celebrate the over two years that we've been, um, you know, doing this little... Coming up on coming up on two yeah. years, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just a little celebration of the podcast and the milestone that we're hitting. Um, it's going to be very excited to do that. We're going to be doing, just to give a little hint top five movies that we uh that the other has brought to us and then bottom five movies mm-hmm. um with a little little fun some fun stuff in between so yes uh just that we're going to be discussing our, our our past picks and uh what they mean to us because mm-hmm. this, this podcast has meant a lot to me over the past two years so uh, me as well uh yeah but can i, I do want to give a hint for the week after though because i'm excited about it give a quick hint i think that's a good way to keep it yeah spicy uh there's gonna be actual bugs in the next movie damn it i hope they i hope they were all gonna be metaphorical bugs no 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 you're gonna be real bugs uh i don't feel me to say the title just yet but (laughs) well thank you all for listening uh please remember to always rate review subscribe anywhere you get this podcast we have email weeklypodcastmassacre at gmail.com both twitter and instagram at weeklymassacre uh, hit us up on the letterbox as well because you are G Anderson nineteen. I am Murphy mm-hmm. Turf. So please let us know if you've ever had a traumatic event in a grocery store. If you know a good dermatologist. If you are the super mother bug. Yeah. Please let if us know. You, I would love to get in touch with you. If you know when and where we can hit up a pork party, please tell us. Yeah, that that's great. Um, but until next time. We're all from Beaver, ain't we? <laughs> uh, May the 29th, 1954. Consorting with bankers, industrialists, CEOs, and politicians held a series of meetings over three days at the Bilderberg Hotel in Oosterberg, Holland. They drew up a plan to maintain the status quo. Uh, that's well, okay, that's as far as I'm you're going. You're foaming at the mouth, <laughs> Bye, everybody. Actually, as, as yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys.